On a beautiful run through the park on a pleasant day, you can easily get lost. No, no, no. She didn't kill him. Huh? In your true crime podcast. It was the pool guy. So obvious. Whatever motivates you works for us. It's all about letting your run be your run. And Brooks is here for every runner. Doing the research and sweating the details to create gear that works for you. It's your run. Brooks. Run happy. PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich and joining me is my good buddy, Mike Johnson. Mike, what's going on, man? What's up, Dimitri? It's been a while since we've done this. You've been hiding on me all year. So I see how it is. I mean, you're a popular guy. You got a lot of guys who want to come on your show and ladies, of course. So I'm happy to be back. No, no, it's not like that at all. I know you have a, you have a busy work schedule, so I save you for the most important times of the year. And I feel like it's an annual tradition for us for, to be doing these kind of playoff breakdowns. So um, I'm, I'm happy to have you. I did part one um, earlier today. We did four series. We're going to do the other four uh, opening round matchups here. So the plan, I think people that have listened to us do this before know, but it's just going to be helping set you up for the playoffs. We're going to try to uh, kind of identify some strengths, weaknesses, uh, potential strategies, exploitable matchups for the teams involved. So it's going to be fun. Um, let's jump right into it. I think this is a good starting point for us. Let's do wild and blues. Uh, first, because I'm I'm sneakily very excited about this matchup. I think you know traditionally you'd say okay, the Minnesota Wild, the St. Louis Blues, kind of these slow it down, grind it out, heavy defensive teams. And this year they've they've really been anything but. And so I think it's going to be a really kind of fun matchup with a bunch of twists and turns. But it's also tough to tough to kind of figure out which way it's going to go. I, it really is kind of a toss up in my mind. Um, what what excites you about this series, and kind of what are you going to be? looking for in this matchup when they start playing. Yeah, you're right, because I think their reputation does not really align with the reality this year. And that, and that these guys are offensive teams. Um, you know, I've seen them both multiple times this year. They play fast. Now, it will be physical. It will get chippy, for sure. But um, for St. Louis, you know, what I find fascinating about them is that they've had this kind of year, two-year transition where, their best offensive players have gotten younger. And that's not to say that Ryan O'Reilly is not excellent. David Perron is not excellent. I think Tarasenko had a career year this year, but just the development of Cairo and Thomas, Barbashev, like these young guys, and maybe the smartest signing, trade signing with, uh, uh, with the Blues. Yeah, yeah Bushnevich, um, that they They're so it's interesting and, and, and how those guys, you know, how they'll step forward. They've taken a big step in the regular season, but can they do it again in the playoffs? Um, one of my favorite players is Robert Thomas. Yeah. And, and like I threw it out there and it's maybe hyperbolic, but he's one of the best passers in the league. And, and I'm like, well, I don't know, but I'm like, maybe top five, but whatever it is, he's better than you think he is. Uh, you look at all of his underlying numbers, like, you know, passes to the slot and passes for scoring chance and all those kind of things. Now, he's loath to shoot it, which I can relate to. But um, So I'm curious to watch initially St. Louis, those younger guys who've taken a step, how they continue their progression in the playoffs. Yeah, to back up that point about Robert Thomas, he finished fourth in 5-on-5 primary assists this season, ninth in uh, primary assists on a per-minute basis across all situations. So definitely one of the premier playmakers in the league. I, you know, starting with the Blues here, um, only the Panthers and Leafs scored more goals in the season, which is kind of a remarkable stat to me. I wonder how many people that kind of just casually are following the league and maybe aren't Blues fans, fans of another team would even know that. Mm. Um, you would certainly think, okay, maybe Colorado or, or Calgary ahead of them. Uh, but no, it's the Blues. They're the third scoring team. They wound up with nine different 20 goal scorers this season. Uh, they had the second most lethal power play. Um, and so... You know, they can beat you in many different ways offensively. I think what intrigues me about them is the way they operate, Mike, because, you know, if you just go purely by traditional shot metrics, you're not going to get the full picture here, right? Like, I think they finished 28th in shot attempts, 25th in shots yeah. on goal, 24th in high danger chances. 
And so you look at that and you're like, how is this the third leading uh, offensive team this season? Like they're not getting any shot volume. Are they just purely riding wild percentages? And yeah, in a sense, like they, I think they led the league in goal scored above expectation and shooting, shooting percentage, but I do think they deserve a lot of credit for their specific approach and kind of what they did to, to swing that math in their favor, because just when you watch them play, like it's so very clear that by design, they're passing up good shots to try to create great shots in the offensive zone. And, and, and Thomas is kind of a key facilitator for unlocking that type of style for them. But like, yeah. You're, you're very rarely going to see them come into the zone and basically the first look they get kind of just fired on net and then try to hope to get a rebound or kind of, you know, scrum it up in front of the net. Like they get into the zone, they're looking to move it around. A guy gets a good look. He might even pass it off to someone who's a bit more open than him. And they're, and they're sort of sacrificing that, that quantity for the quality. And so mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting in this matchup, particularly if Minnesota is going to use Marc-Andre Fleury in it, and we still haven't found out at the time of recording, whether it's going to be Talbot or Fleury in game one, I assume we'll see both of them at some point in the series, regardless um, with Marc-Andre Fleury's playing style, which is, you know, notoriously very aggressive. aggressive. Exactly. Yes. And you think a guy who's that far out of the net, right? He's more, he's probably more susceptible yep. to those extra passes because he's going to have further to go as athletic as he is. And as, and that's why you see Marc-Andre Fleury, these crazy saves sometimes you're like because he's so far out of the net, he's got to go a long way to come flying across. You're absolutely right. Uh, you know, I, I don't think I'd be curious though, but I don't think teams like would dig into that kind of stuff before making a goaltending decision. I doubt mm-hmm. it, yeah. but you, you, you might be onto something there. Just, you know, when flower is in net, and I'm with you, I think they both will play. Um, you know, does, does, is he, is he vulnerable? to those extra passes, to that extra look, to that bit of patience that that uh, that the Blues have. And, yeah, so they're not getting the volume, but they're definitely getting the quality when they need it. And I, and I love the idea that there's so many 20-goal scores. I love – I love the floor is the same way. I love the fact that you, know, you can talk about the guys who score a lot, but, like, those guys who – I don't even know what line Brandon Sod's on, but he just turns out 25, 30 per year playing on the third line, playing 14 minutes, whatever he does – um, I just love the fact that they have high efficiency scorers that don't need a lot of time and they just, they go out there and just find a way to, to get goals. And I think in the, in the playoffs where there'll be so much focus on checking and, and systems for the top players that, you know, that depth should really help St. Louis. Yeah, no, certainly. I mean, and, and an interesting wrinkle for them is I think right now, the way they're playing it, right. They've got Tarasenko up with Robert Thomas and, and Pavel Buchnevich on that number one kind of traditional scoring line. They're going to mm-hmm. use O'Reilly and Saad, and I guess maybe Perron as kind of like their defensive matchup line. I'll be curious to see whether they try to blanket Caprizov or Fiala's line instead with, with those guys. But that kind of, you know, on the one hand, Jordan Cairo has been this guy that I love as a talent so much. And on a permanent basis, he, he just pops off pretty much every stat you look at. Right. And I keep wanting them to play him more now. Mm it's a luxury item for them because they have so much of that depth of the nine twenty goal scorers where they can afford to play them on a third line right now with Braden Shen or however they decide to configure it. I have Barbashev because they have that top six already set up, but it provides them with an interesting wrinkle in this series where, you know, if Minnesota is so, so, and, and everyone involved is so interested in these kind of top six battle of, okay, O'Reilly versus Kaprizov and uh, Robert Thomas versus, versus Fiala or however this shakes out. All of a sudden you've got this like gray area of extra like loose minutes for Cairo to basically kind of like, you know, every time he gets on the ice, he's going to try to create some sort of a rush opportunity or something. And if it's not working, if it's not there, if Minnesota's kind of sniffing it out, that's fine. He takes his 30 second shift. He gets off the ice. They get the other guys back out there, but it's going to, I think there's going to be a bit of a blind spot there where he can potentially kind of free him up for a couple of scoring opportunities in each of these games. There should be. And that's how he's done so well. And, and, you know, we understand that ice time and production is not like a linear relationship, right? So like sometimes He's maybe doing more in those kind of sheltered, interesting minutes than he would, you know, if he just had him top six, top line, whatever it might be. So um, that'll be an advantage. But it's not like Minnesota doesn't have a lot of depth. But I, again, the Blues, I mean, I, I guess it's Billy Huso. I think it's got to be Billy Huso, a guy who hasn't been around. He, he, you know, the fact that he's going to be a UFA after this year, he can make himself a lot of money by having a good playoff run here. Uh, so I'll be curious to watch how that goes. And then, um, you know, top four. Justin Falk had a nice little bounce back year for himself in St. Louis. So, uh, you know, him and Krug and Pareko, and then they went out and got with Nick Letty to kind of round that out. Um, can they hold up under, you know, intense kind of physical forechecking, which the, the, the wild can get on you uh, physically? 
um, that'll be kind of one, you know, matchup I'll be watching in the game. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Another one that I had here was, um, you know, if the regular season trends carry over and I'm always skeptical to put too much stock into special teams in the regular season and then how that carries over to the postseason because we know that the the officiating sometimes changes a little bit in terms of what flies and 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 if you're just relying on having a red hot power play, who knows how many opportunities you might get over the course the, of the game series. You know what else changes beyond the officiating, which you and I, you know I'm on board with that conversation, yep. how ridiculous it is, is that preparation and attention of the penalty killers it goes so much higher you know when you're playing every 82 games and you're coming into you know into st louis on a you know second game of back-to-back you might get a leaflet in the morning like okay yeah they like seam passes um like to run out the half wall and you kind of you read it and you go out there and do your best when it's the playoffs like you're so locked in you've seen video you've broken it down a thousand different ways you know and so i think the more prepared a group is the more it favors the defensive side of things uh, and so I think that also maybe hurts the likelihood of, you know, great power plays running the, the same percentages in the postseason. I like that. Well, yeah, that's, that's an interesting thing to keep in mind then because Minnesota's penalty kill struggled quite a bit this year, kind of uncharacteristically based on what you expect from them. And the blues, as I mentioned, had a top three power mm-hmm. player or something like that. So interesting to consider, um, you know, from the, from Minnesota's perspective, I mean, I, I think, you know what you're going to get from Kaprizov and Zuccarello, right? Like, I, I don't know anything more to say. Like, they're just so, so sick together. Like, just, I love watching them play. I think a big change for Kaprizov this year is if you look, he clearly became more comfortable in his role as a superstar in the NHL in terms of like asserting himself with a shot. Like he came in last yep. year and I think he wanted to get people involved. He wanted to kind of, you know, feel it out and make a name for himself in this league after all the success he had had in the KHL. And he was a bit reluctant to shoot at times. And you could see that by his shot rate this year it's skyrocketed and obviously he scores 47 goals and that's a huge development for him. But also I imagine if you are preparing for him in a series now, all of a sudden you're thinking, all right, well, he's going to be just as likely to shoot from this spot as he is to pass. And then all of a sudden I can't necessarily play him one way or another. And then all of a sudden you're kind of stuck in the middle and he can basically beat you any which way. And so that makes him even more dangerous in a series like this. Every game. And it's fun to watch him play because uh, you mentioned the versatility, the increased goal scoring, the threat that that has become for him. But um, the, the way that he kind of escapes checking and finds space, because he's not the fastest skater per se, like in, in a straight line race, Jordan Cairo would you know blow the doors off. But boy, can he turn edge work, stop and start kind of pivot a little bit like Sid, a little bit like Matt Duchesne, like uses his edges to get free and doesn't need much room to kind of shake loose. Um, so it's interesting that way. He, he's awesome. And, and I, and I love how Zuccarello, if you were around him during the Ranger days, like how much other good players love him. Like, like the other top players all want to play with Zuccarello because he's such a complimentary guy, sees the game, I think, at an elite level, is the facilitator. So I think top players don't mind getting that service that he is, you know, inclined to give. Uh, so the two of them together. But what is fascinating with the Wild, and, you know, one of the things we hear in the playoffs is you know, strength down the middle, strength down the middle. You got to have the centerman, you got to have the couple D, you got to have the gold center. Well, both Wild's top two lines are driven by the wingers. Yep. And I think that is that is an interesting development in that we don't usually associate that with really good teams. And make no mistake about it, the Wild are a very good team. Um, so, you know, Ryan Hartman up, you know, had a really good year playing between Caprizov and Zuccarello. And, you know, he, he knows his role, takes face-offs plays defense in his own end, goes to the front of that and gets out of the way. And he's been rewarded for it with like his career year. <laughs> yep. uh, and, and the same thing on the second line, because Fiala is one of my favorite players in the NHL. This guy is electric, lights out good. But I think when Matt Boldy showed up, you know, it changed that second line as well. Because Fiala, for his career, I think had a tendency to try to do it a lot by himself. Now, he was good enough that he could do it, you know, on occasion by himself. But I don't know if he trusted his teammates to be good enough to um, help him accomplish what he was trying to accomplish. But I think with Boldy there, it changes because you know, it's Freddie Gaudreau sometimes is the primary second line center. But Boldy and Fiala are kind of similar, just not quite as good as Caprizov and Zuccarello. But the same kind of dynamic there. Uh, because Fiala, I, I just love watching him play. And the way that he finished the season, um, the, the kind of – confidence he had and, and and the way he was you know really applying his unique physical skills was was impressive but um you know i, I love watching him play but I, I do think the boldy arrival mid-season changed this team oh 100 i mean it was so frustrating last postseason watching that uh golden knights wild series where 
you could see exactly what you're talking about where Fiala's out there, the physical talent was so through the roof and he was kind of just like by sheer, uh, by sheer force, almost creating opportunities, but he just didn't have supporting talent to kind of take advantage of it or, or, or riff with them, you know, like kind of, uh, as an artist where you bring Matt Boldy in there and then all of a sudden he's kind of like the perfect complimentary uh, winger to be alongside him because he's doing a lot of the dirty work Yes, as a kind of like a, a still skinny filling out his frame teenager, funnily enough, but like he's winning battles along the boards, he's extending possessions, he's getting it to Fiala kind of in open space so he can basically use his speed to skate into it. And yeah, the two of them have been unbelievable together. And this isn't a, this isn't a 10 game hot streak or something like that for Fiala to end the season. Yeah. Like this is a good 40 to 50 game sample. Now of these two guys being just downright dominant together. So I think that's uh, you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. So, so, I mean, and so, you know, you start thinking about, well, top six, top six and how they're both explosive. And, and, and you talk about the depth offensively with St. Louis. Well, the third line, which I think I hate like the identity line, but I, I do think that the wild really thrive off when they're together, what Erickson act and Greenway and Felino could bring. And like, they're, they're all ridiculously physically strong players. And I, and I think they like the idea that they are table setters. Like they, you know, they tenderize the meat for the chefs to cook it up. Yep. And, and so it's a different, you know, they don't score to the same degree that the blues third line will score, but they play a different, albeit very effective style. Uh, I don't know yet about Felino's health for sure. He took that knee on knee late in the last game, which would be a huge blow because the chemistry and his leader, all those things. Um, but yeah, like, how that line who wants to check and be physical and lean on you and play traditional playoff hockey because they love it, not because it's the playoffs, because that's what they want all regular season. You know, how does that match up with St. Louis who wants to kind of get up and down the ice for all their top three lines? Well, it's funny you bring that up. They, I was looking at this today. Uh, that line, the the Greenway, Erickson, Ekpelino line, outscored opponents 25 to 5 this season. FI Don't give up anything. Yeah. High danger chances were 91 to 39 which is just uh, preposterous, right? And, and they don't give up anything. They create a lot in front of the other team's net because they're just kind of constantly trying to get the puck there. And it, it's, it's. I'm not sure how much of it is that chemistry component, how much of it is maybe they have to change the way they play if they have a different uh, line mate. But basically, if you remove any of those three guys from that combination, the line's efficiency just plummets very dramatically. Way down. Yeah. And it's so yeah. weird because like Greenway and Erickson – Greenway and Erickson, I can play with a third player or Felino and Erickson, I can play with a third player. Felino and Greenway can play with a different center. And regardless, they're never nearly as effective as when the, all three of those guys are together. And so that is kind of their identity line in the sense that they like need all three of those guys to be out there and not physically compromised. So you're right. I hope, I hope Felino okay. It sounds like he will, he will play. I hope, uh, you know, he's able to like still do all the forechecking and stuff that he does uh, and not be hampered by that leg injury. So um, yeah, this is going to be a fun one. I mean, there's so many good players in this series and and I really feel like there's going to be a lot of twists and turns. Like I, I, I'm regardless of what happens in the first couple of games, I'm not going to be writing either team off because I feel like it could really flip on a dime. So I'm excited about it. Um, yeah. Uh, bringing the ice bags. I think it's going to be physical. I think it's going to be long. I do think had St. Louis had home ice, I would have been kind of comfortably thinking they would get through this. But the fact that the Wilds are at home makes me – it's its a tough one to call. Yeah. All right. Let's 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 uh, let's switch gears here. Um, let's do Panthers-Capitals next. I think that's kind of a, a little uh, a logical segue for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of weird because on the one hand, the Panthers have unequivocally been my favorite team this season to watch. Uh, I just think yeah. what they've been doing offensively has been downright uh, amazing. And in a year where everyone has been taking their offensive game to a new height, they have been at the very pinnacle of that. But for acknowledging that, this may very well be the series that I have the least to say about. Like, I, I, I have notes on all these matchups. For this one, I don't have nearly the same sort of level or grasp for, like, what I think is going to happen because the speed discrepancy between these two teams is so drastic. That's it. Right. I I think like, you know, in Florida, what you're going to get, and we'll talk about whether that can work and how they play and their systems play and all that. Washington, when they look good, like, okay. Yeah. Like you can see the pieces and the experience and it doesn't matter that they're old, you know, like they can find ways to get it done. They still have good players, even though they're older, but the games, they look bad. They look so slow. You think of some of their losses down the stretch against other top teams, like, there's no way they can skate with Florida. And I think that's the, the dynamic that I'm not sure of. I mean, like, can the Caps just kind of withstand the waves of pace that Florida makes you play at? And, and, and again, when you watch Florida play often enough, 
one thing we love about them is that they don't let the other teams often dictate pace. Like they may not win, but they're going to play their way and you're going to play their way. Like you can't say, we're going to slow this down. We're going to muck it up. We're going to trap it up. Like it doesn't really work the way they play. They're willing to kind of open it up and, and give up chances at the expense of trying to create chances. So I'm with you. Like I see the, I see the good caps. I'm like, okay, that'll be a test because you know, you, you, they have good players, no doubt. But then I watched and I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, I, part of me thinks like there'll be games where it might be one where Washington wins three, two and Florida wins five, one. Like there right. might be some games where the, the Panthers, when they get going, they're the much better team. And, and when Wash wins, they have to kind of just be the better team by a little bit. Well, I was going to, that was going to be my next sort of logical question here. How can Washington, like if you're devising a game plan, how do you slow down a team like this? Because they have a few things going for them in the sense that I believe, I think they were 22nd this season in terms of five on five pace they played at. So they naturally already play kind of a more grinded down methodical type of game. Mm-hmm. And they're not necessarily opening it up and just trading chances back and forth. They have a pretty good offensive or sorry, in zone defensive profile, like you'd expect from any Peter Laviolette team. Obviously the goaltending is a question mark. It's not necessarily a type of scenario like last year where it's like, all right, Florida can play this track meet against the lightning, but unfortunately the lightning have Andre Vasilevsky and that's a problem in Washington's case. You don't even know which guy's necessarily going to be starting. Um, their performance this year has both for both of them, not been something that would strike fear in you acknowledging that in a short series, anything can happen, of course. But if you're the capitals, like, how are you, how are you trying to, get the lightning or the Panthers, I guess, to play kind of a more um, off-brand static type of game where they're not just freewheeling. We saw a bit of that last year where the lightning spooked them a little bit as that series went along, right? Like the Panthers came into that and remember that game one, it was probably the most exciting game of the entire postseason. It was just back and forth, chance after chance. And then they got burnt a few times and mm-hmm. Vasilevsky stopped them a few times. And then all of a sudden, as that series went along, you could kind of see them taking their foot off the gas pedal a little bit because they were sort of like, I don't know if we can keep playing this way. I'm not sure the Capitals uh, possess the resources to strike that type of fear in them, but they're going to certainly have to try to. Otherwise, like they can't afford to just play that type of game with them. No, Wash will lose if they just go back and forth. Yeah. If they flat out will lose, you know, no matter what their goaltender does. I, I think... Where could Florida be vulnerable? If I'm trying to diagram, like, how do we play against the Panthers? Okay, one, I think you have to recognize Bobrovsky had a good year, obviously tons of wins. But, he, you know, his goal save above expected. He was about he was about flat. Like, he probably kind of did what he was supposed to do, and that was enough to win a ton of games. Like, he wasn't largely in the, in the positives, wasn't largely in the negatives. He was just kind of did what he was supposed to do. But I think there's a genuine concern down in Florida. Like, he's never really been tested this year. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they always were scoring for him. So, like, you know, is is there anything that that can creep into Bobrovsky's game by giving up goals, um, by losing the first one, by, you know, maybe having Florida outchance a team significantly and then losing? You know, is there something there that can work to the Caps' favor? Now, I don't think there's anything strategically you could do, like, we're going to shoot along the goal line because he struggles. From the, like, I just think there's a mental part of, the, of that game for Bobrovsky. And I don't know if that means Spencer Knight comes in. I have no idea, but... Um, I think he was just rookie of the month for the month of the month of April, but I, I think there's that. The other part about it is that as much as we love how Florida gets up and down the ice, um, you know, they have forwards who look to go forward all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, the old adage, the best way to play an offensive team is make them defend. Right. So if Washington can somehow kind of sustain possession, get pucks in the offensive zone, even if it's not, even if it's like empty calorie minutes, like you're not doing much, Florida will get antsy. Like they get twitchy. Yeah. Like they want to go and they're not used to not being able to go. So I would be inclined to do that. And then obviously you understand how they like to leak guys out. They, they leak, they send the first guy out and they can't get him. They love, you know, stretching him out, then pushing them, bumping it back. And you've got a gap there and they try to, you know, they skated in and try to create plays there. Um, so I'd be mindful of that, you know, that kind of bump back play. And the other one is, when Florida gets in, their, in the offensive zone, it's, it's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of moving parts. You know, if Ekblad's back, that's great. But it doesn't even have to be Ekblad. Like, you know, I'm, I'm scratching my head watching Forsling look like, you know, an offensive dynamo. And, and he does. You know, but it's Uyghur, it's Sherrod, it's Forsling, it's Montours all over the ice. you got to be really attentive to your details in your own end. And some of that's coaching, some of that's preparation, some of that is, you know, players paying attention. And Florida kind of like, well, we'll do it often enough, but at some point we're going to catch you looking the wrong way, staring at the puck, 
trying to help something else out and there'll be something available to you. So, you know, whenever any team plays Florida, like staying organized in your own end is of, you know, super importance. Um, so I look at all those kind of areas for Washington, um, you know, and got to be good in the power play, score some goals there because they don't have as many good players. They can't play the same way the Florida plays. Were you, um, I think Florida's first game after the deadline with Giroux was in Montreal. Were you doing that game for DSN? I was not doing that game, no. Okay. I was not doing that game for DSN, but I, okay. I watched it, yeah. Because I know the, the, the games they, of theirs that you did recently, they kind of weren't, weren't playing all their guys, right? Yeah, I mean, I did the last couple of games, yeah. But I did a game previous to that down in Florida against the Canadians where everyone was playing and you got a sense of... And Giroux is fascinating because, like, you know, he was Barkov's winger, then he was a centerman, then he was... like He's been all over the map, but uh, I actually had a chance to chat with him in the hallway because he wasn't playing against Ottawa, though, at the, the second last game of the year. And he was, you know, he just said, the team is so full of confidence and so comfortable being free, yeah. which is, you know, not, you'd think that would, that would be something that all teams would aspire to be, but all teams are not. Yeah. They're not empowered to be that way. They're not talented enough to be that way. So to hear that, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. So you watch the way they play and they are, they are, they are comfortable being free and, and Andrew Burnett lets them go. Well, I'll be curious. I think if Ekblad comes back, they'll certainly get him back on that top power play. But, you know, just seeing that five five forward set of theirs, um, it took a bit of a adjustment period. You could tell. It, the reason I why I brought that game ovation. up. Yeah. Yeah. Mid-game in Florida. I, we were down in Montreal. I'm like, look at this. Okay. <laughs> Finally. Now, you got, now there's two parts about it, right? Like, you got to have a guy like Barkov that you can kind of trust semi-reliable defensively. If there is a one-on-one, he's not going to get absolutely turnstile. But, you know, I think it's, it's, we're seeing more of it on five on threes. We're seeing more of it on four on threes. We'll probably see more of it, but not if Ekblad's back. Ekblad's awesome with the power yeah. play. So that, yeah. that, that would be a place where he would certainly get a bunch of minutes. But I, I did love seeing that and the willingness to do it. Speaks of their aggressiveness. Yeah, they've, uh, they've done this. They've ran this five-man set of Barkov, Huberto, Giroux, Reinhardt, and Duclair for 47 minutes on the power play so far. And they scored 10 goals in that time. Um, and, 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 and didn't give up a single shorthanded one yet either for all the concern about, you know, being vulnerable defensively if you do so. So, um, yeah, I, I, I love it. I love that aggression and, and I would love to selfishly, you know, we say we don't root for, we don't root for teams or whatever. We root for stories. We root for players. We root for like just that sort of stuff more. So I think this is a great story for this Panthers team to be rewarded, um, with this statistical profile, right? Like all, all the time, like I, I would tweet these remarkable stats of what they're doing offensively. They haven't been shut out yet this season. They've scored six plus goals more times than they've been held under three and mm-hmm. a, a depressing amount of people, like their first inclination to respond to that. Wait was, to the playoffs. Yeah. Oh, well, let's see, let's, let's see them win in the playoffs before we start, you know, crowning them before we start celebrating this. And it's like, those are two completely separate thoughts, but I would love to see this type of strategy. And I, I know what's going to happen, right? If they succeed, if they win a couple rounds, if they win a cup, whatever, there's going to be, Oh, well they go, of course they got Ben Sherrod. Of course they added a lot of meat compared to last year. Like they, they, you know, right. they got more physical and, and people are always going to see what they want to see. Right. And push that whatever agenda they want. But I think unequivocally, especially with how aggressively they play offensively, like this is something that we should aspire to across the league. And it's something that hopefully people will notice and be like, how can we make a Gustav Forsling look like an offensive dynamo? You know what I mean? As opposed to being like, we need to play a certain way where everyone has a very specific role and we have offensive and defensive players. Like they just try to have as many good players as they can. If this is a copycat league, and, and most pro leagues are, I'd like teams to try to copy them. Yeah. Because I, I want more teams to play that way. Two more guys that I like in Florida that maybe people don't appreciate. I, I think Anton Lundell, had he played a full year, he would not have won the, the, the Calder. But, like, you know, Lars Eller, I guess, is the third-line center there in, in Wash. Like, he's he's good. He's You know, I, I like him as a player, as well as uh, Mason Marchman. Yep. I, I think he uh, just sneaky skilled. Like for a guy, you're like, oh yeah, he's a kind of an up and down energy guy. He's getting dragged up by all the other points around him. Then you watch him play and the plays that he makes. Like I, the third line there with Sam Reinhardt, who's a pointy game player <laughs> on your third line. But I like Marchman. I like Lindell. Don't be surprised to see those guys have some moments in these playoffs. Yep. I like it. All right. Well, that's all I had for this series. Let's uh, let's take a quick break here and then we're going to do um, Avalanche Predators and Leafs Lightning on the, uh, on the other end. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. 
you just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Recognize employees with Custom Inc. Show customer appreciation with Custom Inc. Outfit your teams with Custom Inc. Easily add your logo to your favorite products and brands at custominc.com. Make Custom Inc. your custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing, along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. All backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Do it all today at custominc.com. All right, let's do let's do Predator's abs because I know there's obviously a lot of people tuning in to to listen to uh, Leafs Lightning, and we're going to make them wait till the very end of the show. Um, okay, so the reason why I love formatting our, uh, these shows this way is because I don't know if you remember you, you I'm, I'm sure you don't, but in the 2019 postseason, we did a round one preview, you and I, where we were talking about Lightning Blue Jackets, and we had 15 minutes set to talk about it. And at the time, most analysts were kind of just settling for the lazy approach of being like, haha, Tampa's going to win this series in three games. Like this is, this is going to be a joke. And no one was taking Columbus seriously at all. And, and you and I made a, a distinct point of kind of at least trying to provide a blueprint or a roadmap for such a big underdog to at least be competitive and make a series of it. Now, of course, we couldn't have possibly foreseen a scenario where Columbus would go on to, to sweep them. Um, but I think we did a pretty good job at that point of sort of identifying kind of a checklist for a heavy underdog to follow. And this is what we had. We had slow the game down to a snail's pace because the more events that take place, the more likely talent is going to win out and the better team's going to find a way to score more goals. Stay out of the penalty box where you need to limit the number of easy opportunities that the powerhouse team has to put goals on the board. And then just have your goalie basically be the best player in the series and get a 930 save percentage. And that's obviously uh, much more unpredictable or more difficult to ask, um, but it is what it is. And obviously the, all of those things basically happen in that series. And the reason why I bring that up is because if you look at all, any of the betting odds right now, like the avalanche are about as big of a favorite as you're going to see. And I think the predators should be kicking themselves um, based on the way they handled game 82 and the fact that they, you know, Calgary represented its own challenges. And I'm certainly not meaning to diminish uh, their strength as a contender by any means, but it's clear that the avalanche are considered to be this powerhouse. And this is going to be a very uphill battle for Nashville. So acknowledging that checklist of what they need to do, this kind of seems like an especially horrible matchup for them because a UC Soros won't be playing B no team takes more penalties than the predators do (laughs) and C they don't necessarily play at a super fast pace, but they're much more of a sort of uh, transition back and forth type team than you might expect based on, you know, what we've thought about the national predators over the years. And so it's really, I find difficult to talk yourself into um, the predators having a legitimate chance of making this a series. I think, you know, we should try to do so because it would be very boring mm-hmm. if we were just like, all right, the abs are going to win this. Let's move on. Um but let's kind of devise that plan out. Let's talk our way through it. Like if you're in Nashville, how are you approaching this series? Like what, what's your, what's your mindset? How are you entering it being like, all right, they have Makar, McKinnon, Rantanen, Lantis Gog will be back, uh, so on and so forth. Ridiculous star-studded lineup. What do we need to do to maybe either bring back some of these playoff demons they've had over the past couple of years, or at least plant a bit of a seed of doubt in their minds that, you know, oh, it's the playoffs and we're in a kind of house of horrors again. Right. So, I mean, I, I think Colorado would be pretty pleased that they're playing Nashville, not Dallas, because Dallas does a lot of the things in that little recipe you just drew up yep. that would kind of make life kind of tight. Even if you don't end up winning it, it makes it tighter. Like 
you know, Saros to me is is the story. The fact that he is that he is hurt or not or not sure if he's going to be 100 percent because whatever metrics you want to use, um, he is near the top list. Whether it's goal stays above or you know wins stolen, whatever it might be, he's been a couple of years now where he's been one of the best in the league, and they need him to be because they ask him to be. They ask him to stop a lot of saves. So big save, Dave Riddick, Ingram, like they're not the same. Like I don't trust that they'll have the ability to steal games enough maybe even one game to make this a series so that's an issue so first off i'd be praying to like whatever medical material we're using for for using silence to get him healthy there's that the other part of what one i don't that makes it troubling for me as i'm trying to wrap my head around it is that you know except for maybe that third line was you know and scissors and trent the top players of nashville don't really want to grind like that's not how they play I'm not, I'm not being critical. It's not that they can, but like they're, they're inclined to want to skate and make plays and get up and down the ice and, and try to create that kind of feeds Colorado's strengths. And, and that's the problem there um, up front, even Roman Yossi on the back end, like, you know, he wants to get up and down the ice. He's the, he's the, you know, the, the, the guy who drives so much of their offense. Um, so that's the issue. Um, the one thing I think if I was Nashville is that Colorado has had some difficult moments in playoffs past and they have some, important players who get who can get frustrated who can get and i'm not talking about Kadri suspensions which is you know that those are you know i do believe he's not going to get suspended this time yes but i'm gonna even nate mckinnon when things don't go the way he wants he's so wired to be successful you know he can get a little twitchy landis dog you know he's kind of just a physical player doesn't mind it Nas is that way like if it was me i'm like I kind of try to drag it down to the alley a little bit. Like I want to get this game a little bit out of control temper wise and try to control our temper, even though we're a penalty taking team, like try to ratchet up the temperature and hope that maybe those guys who I think are feeling quite a bit of pressure this year in Colorado, knowing the path in front of them, knowing their history and the pressure to get it done. um, You know, I'd start there and see what happens. I mean, it's, it's a tall task, especially with sorrows. Yeah. I mean, listen, the Predators, um, on the one hand, they have all these skilled guys in in Forsberg, uh, Duchesne, Yossi, Granlund, and so they have game breakers that can they can put a crooked number on the scoreboard in any given night, right? Like they they can score on any given occasion with the Avalanche and score five, six, seven goals if things go their way. But they've kind of built their brand around being this team that leads the league in fights, leads the league in penalties taken, penalty minutes, time shorthanded, pretty much any sort of pugilistic stat you want to look at. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, I'm with you. I would say that that would be a good strategy in, in the sense that trying to turn these games into like a kind of disjointed affairs where you're constantly stopping and starting. There's no real flow to it. You're not playing uh, five straight minutes at five on five at any given time. Even if that means you're mm-hmm. going to the penalty box, sometimes maybe you're getting Colorado to retaliate and make mistakes and throwing them off their game. Um, and, and Nashville themselves has had, I think had the fifth best power play this season. So yeah, like I, I certainly see that at the same time though, I think it's, with a backup goalie in place, it's very dangerous to be giving those power play listen, opportunities. <laughs> listen, you're in tough, right? Like there is even someone as smart as you deem is going to yeah. have a hard time devising a, a kind of logical game plan without inherent risks in it for Nashville. Yep. Because, you know, they're just not as good, especially if bodies come back, you know, like if, if, if Landis Gog and Ranton and are back and they're healthy and then, you know, they can stack their lines as they are supposed to. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. And I, and I do think one of the things where the Colorado Avalanche thought they came up short in years past is that some of their smaller, def- like Sam Gerrard's a dynamic little defenseman. He's great. But I don't think they loved how he played in the playoffs. They thought he maybe got kind of pushed out of being productive, right? Like he couldn't make those outlet passes with his nice little breakout, you know, skating around guys. And Bowen Byram, you know, whether he's healthy or not. So I think like Manson was added. I think having Eric Johnson back, you know, healthy and, and playing, plus Makar obviously can do whatever he wants. Um, they, they have a little more meat back there to kind of withstand some of that, some of that physical play, because I think that's an area that they they thought they were were vulnerable and and they tried to address. Yeah, well, I had that listed as one of the very few exploitable pressure points 
if you're a game mm-hmm. planning against the Avalanche. It pains me to say this because I'm such a big fan of the player and his skill set, but this season has been a struggle for Sam Gerrard. And yeah. uh, he hasn't looked himself. The on-ice impacts have taken a dip. I think part of that can be explained by, like, he played 300 minutes or something with Jack Johnson this season. And uh, unfortunately, that tends to take its toll in terms of your 5-on-5 underlying metrics. Um, yes. But but the Avs, like, the Avs need Sam Gerrard to be dynamic and making plays in transition, right? Like when they have Taves and Makar out there, they're not going to worry about it. But this team constantly needs to be playing downhill, like to be effective at their best. They need to have that snowball mentality of one shift after another. They're constantly going north-south, getting rush after rush. And you're right. Like the blueprint was laid by Vegas last year where whether it was Gerard, um, you know, even bigger, more physical guys in terms of Ryan Graves and Patrick Nemeth at the time, they struggled against the forecheck and they made mistakes. They kept kind of having to send them back and defend as opposed to getting that or South game going. And so mm-hmm. I don't know if Nashville has the personnel with all of their lines to be doing so, but certainly with that, Janot line, like they need to be just front and center every time, like take the body and, and see what happens. And if it results in being over aggressive and taking a penalty, so be it, we'll live with it, but we cannot let them make clean out with passes. No, that's it. That's it. And then, and then I think, you're hoping that within game, like that kind of scoreboard pressure starts to build. And it's going to be a real thing for Colorado. Like they know that this year is a big year for their team. It's going to look different next year. Like they know that they've burnt through any kind of goodwill they, they've, they've accrued uh, in regular seasons by not getting it done in the playoffs. So you hope that a close game starts to bug them or if they happen to lose a game, it starts to bother them. Uh, um, but that, that is the key. Like to hem them in, make it choppy. Don't let them have those nice passing plays. The worst part about Colorado is when you see guys flying through the neutral zone with a puck on their stick because of a nice transition pass on the tape. They do that as well as anyone. That's why they're one of the best teams in the league. So anything you can do to adjust that, but you can't do it. I don't think you can do it sitting back team. I don't think you can like, kind of like, let's go one four and see if we can execute that because well, one, I don't think Nashville's personality would let them do that very well. And two, Colorado probably passed. Like, I think you got to push forward, like stop them earlier. Don't let them kind of get their head up and see what they can come up with. Stop them with pressure earlier and then, and then take their chances. But like, I never pick sweeps because it's hard. Teams are prideful. Like this is hard, yep. but this, this is, this feels like a, a, this feels like a lopsided series if everyone's healthy for, for Colorado. Well, here's a stat that would support that. Kale McCarr and Devon Taves were in the lineup 64 times this season. At the same time, I mean, uh, there's no yeah. number you could tell me that it would be surprising. Like yeah, you could say, oh, they had 85% of expected goal, whatever it is. I'm like, yeah, yeah. They went 51, eight and five this season with those guys active. Um, okay. So here's a question then for you. Um, what do you want to see from Colorado in this series then? Like to, to feel like, all right, this year's different. Um, you know, they clearly have the personnel. Like there's no question. They are absolutely loaded. Now, We'll see what happens in round two. They're, they're going to obviously have to play one of St. Louis or Minnesota, and they're going to pose their own offensive challenges, and then potentially a Calgary team in the, in the conference final that I think would push them quite a bit. Like I think they stack up nicely in terms of stylistic approach. But what do you want to see if you were an Avs fan this series, beyond obviously let's win the series, let's try to sweep them, whatever it is, like just in terms of the way they look, in terms of the way they're playing, what do we need to see from them to feel supreme confidence that this is the year? What do we what do we talk about them struggling with last year? Like that's what I want to see. Like, does this newly configured defensive core can they can they deal with heavy forward check, physical play, and, and still make passes? Can they still play at that tempo when teams are more committed physically to not letting them? Yeah, that's that, that's the first thing. Can they do that? Um, and I my inclination against Nashville, they probably can. I guess Darcy Kemper's had a very good year. I don't. I think he's a good goalie. I don't know if he's like one of the very best goalies, but I think he's certainly above average. Mm-hmm. Um, so long as he's healthy and that's been a problem for, for Colorado and net at times too, in the playoffs. But, um, I guess knowing that we're probably going to play tougher competition going forward, I'd like to see Darcy Kemper look rock solid, not doesn't have to steal stuff. He's not going to be shift Stierkin, but just rock solid. Um, yeah. So I think that, and then I think, you know, down, down the line a little bit, like, I don't know what their second line is going to be, if it's going to be Nas and Burakovsky and, I don't know if it's going to be Terry Leckin in or whoever else is going to play up on that second line. But like, what's the third line going to look like? And what, like, how are they going to play? Like, because when you look at Colorado, like their bottom two lines don't impart a lot of fear um, as far as scoring goals against you. And they play with energy and they, they got a little, you know, jam to them. But 
so, you know, is calm for the third line center. Can he make that line go with somebody? I do want to see that because it might be a good, um, you know, it won't be pivotal to the outcome of the series, but it might be pivotal to their longevity in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's really well said. I, it seems like a bit of a strange thing to say about a team that was competing for the president's trophy and had 119 points and a plus 76 goal differential, but I want to see a motivated team. Like I, I, I get their every player in the NHL is a pro athlete who wants to win and can't take anything for granted, regardless of how good or bad the team is. Right. I get all that, but it still felt like watching them this year. There were games where they got up for them and you could tell they were like, all right, we're going to lay the smack down tonight. And they just mm-hmm. took it to whatever team they were playing. And it was laughable how good they were. And maybe it's not realistic to expect any team to be able to do that consistently because it's just, it's a very competitive league and it's very hard to play that way all the time. But I'd like to see come the postseason now, like more extended stretches of that. I don't know how much of it was motivation, how much of it was attention to detail, how much of it was, you know, them having had had past regular season success and knowing that they're going to be judged based on the playoffs. I don't know. I'm sure it was some combination of those things, but like, I want to see a more sustained stretch of them just being fully locked in and being that scary team because they clearly have the ability to do so. We've seen it. They have the personnel. Now it's just a matter of putting it all together. Yeah, I mean, there's a human element of the psychology of trying to do that throughout each games or even within a game when you know you kind of are good, are good enough to win anyways. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they are in many ways, I mean, Atlantis Gogs are captive, but McKinnon is like kind of like their heartbeat. And I think Nate is feeling a lot of urgency to win, to, to be, you know, he didn't get to play in this fun-filled rack-up 120-point season, the full season like everyone else did. And I think he's like, hang on, I'm one of those guys. And um, I want, you know, I want to make sure that we're going to give ourselves the best chance. So I would expect for large stretches, they will be as good as they could be. And they should be because it's the playoffs, but, um, and which will be fun. Like, I, I'm, like <laughs> yeah, I want, I'm happy to see Nashville try to be physical and see what happens when they get up and down the ice with them. I would love that. All right. Leaves first lightning. The last one uh, we're going to do today. So Sheldon Keith. Mm-hmm during his media today said something along the lines of he's expecting this series to be violent. And I actually, I I agree. I think people think of these two teams as being like very high scoring skill oriented teams that have these high octane offensive groups. I think I'm expecting at least stretches of this series to be slow, heavy, uh, very tightly contested, right? Like there's going to be offense, but a lot of it is going to come off of the cycle in kind of a more methodical manner. I don't, I'm not fully expecting this back and forth track meet. And I think that might surprise some people that are just expecting, all right, they have so many talented goal scorers and guys who put up crazy video game totals. There's going to be some of that certainly, but I think it's going to be, it's going to be a pretty, pretty physical and pretty tight series. Um, and that's going to provide its own sort of unique set of storylines and challenges, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I've spent a lot of time thinking about this one. We get asked about it all the time. Right. Um, you know, and you look at the teams and so, you know, I just kind of compare the teams. Okay. So um, in net, Vasilevsky is Vasilevsky. Mm-hmm. And well, his numbers might look at the surface kind of similar to Jack Campbell's. I think it's like a nine sixteen versus a nine fourteen. you know, gold save above certainly playoff track records and history would tell you that Vasilevsky is a much better goalie. That's not a stretch to say that. Yep. But can Campbell give the Leafs something close to Vasilevsky? Because we've learned over this year that the Leafs, the fourth best team in the league, I think they ended up points percentage-wise with pretty mediocre goaltending all year long. Mm-hmm. Well, first, first take trash that. First two months were really good. After that, we're pretty, pretty pedestrian. So that tells you how good Toronto is. They don't need great goaltending. They just need something close. That's my first point of discussion. Can Campbell give them something close? I don't know. I mean, he's finished the year really well since he's come back from the most latest, latest kind of injury. So hopefully he can carry that forward. That will be, you know, pillar number one for Toronto to try to, you know, win this series is can Campbell keep it close, not be better, but be close. Um, and then, you know, you look at the offensive numbers for both these teams and this is where I think people will be surprised. Like Toronto's offensive numbers are, you know, they're better. They're, they're a better, deeper offensive team than Tampa. Uh, you know, Tampa has all the big stars. They're actually quite similar defensively, but it's really on the offensive end, which is why I think you're probably correct in that this might be more physical, more grindy because Tampa, I think it's, you know, they're going to be patient. They're going to be disciplined. 
They'll rely on their goaltending and their defense, and they'll rely on their stars to create offense as opposed to kind of their system play to create offense. Like, you can put me and Kucherov in the puck in the same spot on transition. The results are going to be different, right? So, like, yep. they'll play good defense, and then, you know, when Kucherov gets it there, like, he'll create something when, you know, whoever, Kalorn, Hagel, like, he might not. But they'll let their stars be difference makers because defensively they're kind of the same, but offensively I think Tampa doesn't want a running gun. The question is the, then becomes, what about Toronto's difference maker? Hmm. What about their stars? And I don't love the idea that Bunting's not going to play game one or looks like he's not going to play game one. Uh, Cause I do think he plays a good role, an important role for, for Matthews and, and Martin, not as important as those two guys, but um, I would have liked that line to be together. If you're a Toronto fan, you want those that trio because they had terrific underlying numbers. Like, you know, their expected goals, their shot shares, all those things. And Bunting almost against my eye test is, looks like he's a pretty good defensive player but i watch him play and i'm not so sure he is but i think you know he, he complements those two so well so i think that's the that, that's the other storyline like do those two guys score do those do they score against Tampa this to this playoff yeah well there's gonna be a lot of pressure on him to do so i i you know let, let's put a pin in that for a second uh, i want to talk about the special teams here real quick because the leafs finished the year as the number one power play right and uh I'm going to put that to the side because I actually think the other end of the equation of Tampa Bay's power play is what's interested to me because after a year of relatively pedestrian numbers by their standards, they really down the stretch turned up the heat again with their power play efficiency. Um, in the final 20 games, they were scoring 14.6 goals per 60 and finished with 14 power play goals in their final eight games. And it's kind of reminiscent of what you saw last year during their run, especially at the start of that postseason when at five on five, they weren't nearly as dangerous as they were to, to close the playoffs. And while they found their footing, they were basically just scoring on like every second power play opportunity they had. And it was everything running through Kucherov on that half wall. You get it to him. He can thread the needle across the slot to stand close to the one timer. He can kind of loft it through traffic into the bumper spot for point. He can score himself, of course. And it just presents all these problems, right? And on the other end, you've got this Leafs penalty kill, which is averaging 2.1 shorthanded goals per 60 this year. To put that in perspective, that's basically how much the Sharks and Blackhawks scored at five on five uh, with one extra mm -hmm. guy on the ice. So I, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see that interplay, right? Because I think the Leafs are pretty clearly the better five on five team this season. And, but in terms of the pace they can play at, in terms of their depth, like I, I think based on any metrics you want to look at, they were the better five on five team this season. And they had the better power play as well, as I just said, like they were mm -hmm. number one, but I think Tampa Bay with their man advantage can hit this, like just yeah. unmatched level, height, right. Yeah. Where like, you just can't stop it. And you're basically just hoping that Stam goes like whiffs on a one-timer because he's going to get it at some point in those two minutes. And he probably will score because he's Steven Stam goes. So if Tampa Bay can, kind of mitigate that five on five gap a little bit in that area, then all of a sudden, I think from a scoring perspective, that that really kind of evens up this matchup. And so much of that runs through Kucherov. I know he's a heart trophy winner. He's like, he's obviously one of the best players in the world, but he very quietly went at second best points per game in the league this year, yeah. just behind McDavid, nobody else ahead of Matthews. So um, he, he can ring him up and he can set him up. Uh, and the penalty kill for Toronto, you talk about Tampa running hot in the power play down the stretch. The penalty kill for Toronto, which was very good, especially when you think of that net penalty kill with all the, the shorthanded goals and opportunities, yep. um, it also slowed down a little bit down the stretch. They weren't quite as quite as good the last you know 10, 15 games. So if trends matter, and, and I don't know if they do, but if they did, um, Toronto's PK against Tampa power play would be yeah, it's going to be a significant story. As is the Toronto power play though, yep. like Toronto, like for people talk about Toronto's past, past playoff failures the power play was as responsible as anything last year against Montreal is why they didn't win that series. Yep. If the power play gives them anything in that series that it's over in five games, six, whatever. Like it never gets to a game seven. Yep. Um, so I, I think, you know, they have to back up their good year, their best in the league year um, with, with more good play. So yeah, the special teams will be, will be pivotal for this game, for this series um, because it, it should be, it should be, a, it should be a tight series. I, I am curious Sheldon Keith recording this on whatever this Sunday, Sunday night. night. Yep, yep. Um, it looks as though like Jason Spetz is not going to play in the fourth line. It's going to be Clifford and, and Simmons. And you talked about physicality. And I just like, that was some peculiar 
depth decision with Bunting not maybe being able to play as well. Um, so I, I know the fourth line has not been good for Toronto for large cuts of this year. Um, so I, I just wonder, with Blackwell, I have no problem with him being on their center wing or whatever. He, he should be on there. But electing to go with the, the heavier guys, the more physical guys, as opposed to a, a more skilled Jason Spezza, that is tells you where Keefe's mind is at heading into the series. I think that's a mistake. I well, not, 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 by, not by me asking it the way I just said it. I just told you, I think it's a mistake. Yes. <laughs> that's what I said. No, but that's what I'm what, saying. What I, what I was thinking was, you know, I think something where the Leafs can really exploit in this matchup is the lightning have lost a lot of speed in their bottom six over the past year. Uh, even with like Nick Paul is an awesome player and he gives them a different dynamic, but even just stripping Matthew Joseph from that lineup and obviously all the players they lost in free agency over the summer, like they've still found ways to be like resourcefully effective. That Pierre Edward Belmar Maroon Perry line has awesome five on five numbers, but they have to play a certain type of way, right? Like they, they're going to grind out these offensive zone possessions. I think if the Leafs can get healthy up front, so that includes Bunting coming back, uh, Andre Kasha obviously being healthy. If they can roll a bottom six that has Mikheyev, Engvall, Blackwell, and then either Kerfoot or Kasha, all of a sudden, like Trouble. it's yeah. that that skating ability is just I don't know what Tampa Bay can really do to 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 counter that, right? Like I just don't think they have the personnel that can skate with those guys. I think if the Leafs get sucked into this game of all right, it's going to be a violent series. We're going to play Simmons and Clifford on our fourth line. You're that's playing kind of what, right into their hands. That's what Tampa that's what Bay wants. Want. Yeah, that's that's they, they want you to do. They want Pat Maroon yelling with Simmons on the bench the and more trying to get conversation the fight. Yeah. with Pat Maroon, the better off Pat Maroon is doing for you. Yep. Absolutely. And that's where I'm like, you put Kerfoot down there or some other players. I'm not saying take Wayne out of the lineup, but I'm like, the less you engage with him, the less effective he becomes. Corey Perry is the same way. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I think that is, you know, trying to beat them at, at their game. Because if they're not going to change their roster and they like that fourth line, as you mentioned, they have tremendous, like very few goals against their goal for percentage is really high. Um, yeah, that is... That is something to watch. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't love that decision either. I was a little surprised by it. It looks like Kasha might play, which mm-hmm. would which would be a good thing. And also, we forget, you know, Tavares got knocked out in game one last year. Uh, and that's a scary incident against Corey Perry, which was an accident for sure. Um, but, you know, maybe Tavares, who had the worst <laughs> point per game season you've ever heard of, according to the Toronto Skeptics, because everyone was up down on him and his production. Um, you know, he'll have to be a difference maker as well. Because, like, what I think everyone says, Victor Hedman, he's he's the best defenseman in the league, or one of them. It's McDonough who will face Matthews if he can. It's McDonough and Chernak who will take on Matthews and Marner. Yep. And McDonough is one of the best defensive defense in the league. He won't give you it offensively, but he will shut you down. So, um, you know, I, that's a matchup I'm curious to watch. McDonough and Chernak up against those guys, especially with Toronto starting at home. And then what Victor Hedman does against – if Hedman plays against guys who are not, you know, where he's not as fearful of them offensively, it does open up his game in transition where he's still one of the best. If you're, so if you're, if you're the Leafs, are you comfortable, you know, they have home ice, they have last change in this series. Are you comfortable going power versus power and just sending Matthews and Marner out there against Kucherov and Stamkos and just being like, listen, we feel like our possession game is going to outweigh yours. We can keep them pinned in their own zone. Or are you trying to, get, you know, Mikheyev and Engvall and I guess Kampf, who have been a really good defensive line for them this season when they've played out against those guys and trying to free up easier minutes for, for Matthews and Marner. How are you kind of approaching that, um, especially as the home team to start the series? So, I mean, you're obviously going to take a look and see how it's going. But for me, like, I don't know, as great as Matthews and Marner are and have been, like, I want to give them their best chance to be successful, which I don't care about Stamkos and Kucherov so much as I care about McDonough and Chernak. Mm. I would be more concerned in trying to get them out there on an icing if one of the other two pairs are stuck out there. Get them playing against them. I don't worry about – I'm not so worried about them playing against the, the top six forwards. It's that defensive pair I would like to give them looks away from. Now, you got to be careful matching lines because you can lose your bench. You can get all disjointed and get out of whack, and that's not really been Sheldon Keefe's thing. Like, our guys are really good. They'll figure it out. But I do, I would look to that, the defensive side of things. And it's much easier to match defensemen against forwards than it is against forwards against forwards. So Tampa will, will be, it'll be easier for them to get McDonough and Chernak out there. But if I could on whistles and, and situational times, that's the matchup I'd be more concerned about if I'm Toronto than I would be with Matthews playing up against Kucherov and Stamkos or whoever. 
Yeah, well, it's interesting that the Lightning fairly recently decided to finally break up Point and Kucherov after basically having them together mm-hmm. for, for years now. And Kucherov and Stamkos have been dynamite together at 5 on 5. I mean, Stamkos is 26 points in his last nine games or whatever. Like they've been preposterously good. And I love how Kucherov looks for Stamkos and kind of makes his life easier as a shooter. But the trickle down effect of that is now Tampa Bay all of a sudden getting point away from, from kind of that quote unquote scoring line. All of a sudden it gives them a bit more versatility as well, where you've got point and he's playing with whatever Hegel or, or Paul, whoever his wingers are going to be. But then you've also got Sorelli who kind of had like a, if it weren't for Patrice Bergeron, a potentially selkie caliber season. So Tampa Bay all of a sudden has now a bit more forward flexibility as well, as opposed to being kind of boxed in with like, all right, we've got all our best players on one line and then we kind of have to figure it out with the rest. Right. But point in the playoffs past has been like a massive difference maker offensively. Yeah. And while he has just under point a game this year, you wonder playing with Paul or Colton or whoever, aside from the power play, I'm talking about five on five, like is his, can he be that kind of difference maker for Tampa scoring? I, I get it totally versatile, like down the line, as far as matchups on the road, you're more comfortable with point Sorelli and then Stamkos playing with Pilat and Kucherov, where that's what's up top. But, um, you know, it's been, a, it's been a different kind of year for point where he hasn't been quite, to the extremely high standard that he has set for himself prior to this year. So yeah, that'll be something to watch. I mean, it's all, it's, it'll be something to watch um, how that works. And I'm glad. Yeah. And Sorelli is, he's such a good player. He's such a, he's such an effective player um, that, and he'll love coming back to Toronto and playing around Toronto. So um, yeah, he might, he might end up having a pretty, pretty big say in this series as well. Okay. This is my last question for you here with the Leafs. What is their optimal defensive combination? Because Assuming Sandine comes back here at some point and is healthy to play, I'm not sure what his status is either, but mm-hmm. you figure they basically have eight guys that they would probably want to have in the lineup yeah. with Riley, Labushkin, Brody, Muzzin, Lilligren, Giordano, and then Hall and Sandine. What's your what's your optimal way to I mean, which six guys are you play in and then how are you how are you constructing that defensive depth chart? Okay. So I mean I I I, pr- I probably put Riley with Brody together. Mm-hmm. First pair. Um, I probably start and then, you know, I, cause I think Brody complements a lot of stuff that Riley does really well. Riley, another good offensive season, but Brody seems to settle him down or has in the past. And you hope that that kind of, that kind of chemistry would allow them to be effective defensively. I put on the bottom end, Giordano and Lilligren. I, I, I love that pairing. Yeah. Uh, and then the conversation to me goes into the middle. Like is Muzzin, I think Muzzin's going to get a run here. So assume he's healthy ish um then you're like okay so is it muzzin hall muzzin labushkin muzzin sandine sandine hasn't loved his offside so that's an area of concern for me but if they could figure that out i would like muzzin sandine if i could get it um if not sandine then i would probably go hall i know they went trade labushkin and everyone loves you know him as a guy and and, you know block shots he plays physical but unquestionably like they, their numbers are not as good with him on the ice. They're worse defensively. They give up more shots. They give more chances. They don't create as quite as much. So I probably wouldn't have them in my top six. If everyone was healthy and available to me, probably Riley Brody, um, Muzzin Sandine. That's the one Sandine or Hall, you know, Hall's had a nice little resurgence here down the stretch too. He's played better in the last like 25, 30 games. Um, and then I love Giordano and Lilgren on the third pair. Uh, and then you could maybe, Maybe talk me into putting Giordano up there with Muzzin and, and playing Sandine and Lilgren together who crushed third pair of minutes this year. But yeah, I think Labushkin would be out and then we, we, we'd start from there. Yeah, it's, it's tricky to make all the pieces fit, right? Because in the past, Muzzin and Hole, you'd say, okay, put them together. But they've really been their only combination this season that hasn't worked. I just I don't right. think there's enough foot speed between those two guys. Um, and, and it's tricky because you kind of need Brody to help cover for Muzzin at this point to get the most out of it. But, I want, but I want Brody to cover for Riley. Like, I, mean, like I, want, I want that guy to do it for both guys. And I, I know what you're standing and saying. And yeah, but, and again, Gio is not the fastest anymore either. Yeah. You know, even though he's still putting up good numbers. So yeah, they're, they're a right side defenseman short from, from their optimal, yeah, optimal it's, look. It's tricky. It's tricky. It's tricky because I don't I don't think Sandine's coming off an injury playing on the first pair. Of, I mean, if you put Brody with Riley, Muzzin, let's say you start there, then who's going to play with Riley? Like I don't I don't think it's Labushka. Riley plays a ton of minutes. Like you know, as much as I love Lilgren and Giordano, and like quite frankly, if you look at the numbers, Lilgren has been Riley's best partner. 
Mm -hmm. right? Like he's the guy who makes Riley better, better chances, fewer against all the rest of it. Um, So maybe, but it seems like a big step and it's something that they won't do right now is put Lilligren up there um, because it just, they just, they're not ready to commit to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think if you have confidence in Sandine's health, I agree. They're not going to put him up on a first pair or something, but I think he does provide such a unique uh, transition ability for them that they, like they need Sandine and Lilligren both in the lineup because they give them a dynamic that this team doesn't really have that much of otherwise as weird as it is to say about a high scoring team like this. Um, So yeah, I mean, a lot of these decisions are going to come down, I guess, as the series goes along, I'm sure we're going to see a lot of mixing and matching, but I think the common denominator we keep coming back to here is like the Leafs need to be aggressive in terms of dictating the terms this series is played at and not just doing what the lightning want them to do. And that's easy for us to say from here. But of course, if something happens in game one or two and they get perceived to be getting kind of bullied or, or uh, tossed around physically, all of a sudden there's going to be a lot of pressure to, you know, compensate for that. And I think that's gonna, that's a slippery slope for them to guess walk down. So we'll see how it goes. Well, listen, they're the fourth best team and better than Tampa this year playing the way they play. Yeah. Trust that they can play the same way and still be a better team. Yeah. I completely agree with that. All right, MJ. Well, I think we, uh, I think we did our due diligence with, uh, with both this series and, uh, and all four. Um, it's going to be fun. I'm excited. I'm excited for all of it. It's, uh, the regular season. I'm sure you felt this way as well. Like we're, we're, we're lucky to get to do what we do, but the regular season, especially this year felt like it was really dragging on. So it's gonna be nice to have some, uh, some really competitive playoff games to watch. That's two weeks of the season of yeah. the entire hockey calendar coming up right now. So we'll be uh, tuning in starting tomorrow. So thanks for having me on buddy. Appreciate this it. This is a blast. Always. We'll do it again sometime soon. Okay. The Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast.